welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you as always for listening and downloading the episodes and I love hearing your feedback. I think it's awesome. So if you'd like to write a review on iTunes, please do so. I would be ever so grateful. So today's podcast is with Alan Stein Jr. Alan was the first keynote speaker at the Ascend event, which was brought to you by WebPT and that was oh, a couple of weeks ago in Washington DC. And he got up on stage and he just kicked off the event with a lot of energy and was saying a lot of really wonderful things about leadership and kind of how to put yourself out there as a leader. And as I was sitting there taking all these notes, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and grab him afterwards and see if he would like to come on my podcast. And I'm so thankful that he said yes. So a little bit more about Alan. He is a veteran basketball performance coach, corporate speaker, podcast host, and social media influencer. He has spent the past 15 years working with the highest performing athletes on the planet, including NBA superstar Kevin Durant. Alan delivers high energy keynote performances to develop genuine leadership, authentic team cohesion, and true mental toughness. He inspires his audiences to take immediate action and improve their mindset, habits, and productivity. In other words, Alan teaches organizations how to utilize the same strategies in business that elite athletes and coaches use to perform at a world-class level. He is an amicably divorced father of seven-year-old twin sons, yikes, and a five-year-old daughter, and lives just outside Washington, D.C. So what did we talk about on today's episode? I sort of, I took a lot of uh, notes during his keynote talk, and those notes translated into this podcast. So we talk about his transition from basketball performance coach to corporate speaker, the three steps needed to create change, the role of a change agent in overcoming barriers to change, important qualities in a great leader and what those qualities are, and so, so much more. So I'm not going to give it all away here in the beginning. You'll have to listen to get Alan's tips. And there's a lot of practical takeaways that I hope everyone listening can implement in their life immediately. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And to jo- enjoy today's podcast with Alan Stein, Jr., Hey, Alan, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Hey, I'm super excited as well. And so, like I said in the intro, uh, you were the first keynote speaker at the Ascend event, at uh, which was hosted by WebPT a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C. And if you, I would love for you to kind of expand a little bit more on you and how you kind of got to where you are now. Be happy to. And that really was a fun event. Uh, it was a, a super engaged audience and, and really felt like the stuff I was saying was resonating and I got some great feedback. So thoroughly enjoyable on my end as a speaker. Uh, my, my journey has been uh, fairly linear to this point. Uh, I've spent most of my life in the basketball performance space. Uh, basketball is the first passion I, I've ever had and, and adopted that in kindergarten when I played on my first recreation team. And I've been very fortunate to 
make my entire career in basketball uh, from a performance coach standpoint. So as a strength and conditioning coach, I was always responsible for players running faster and jumping higher and improving their athleticism. As I got older and wiser and got some more life experience under my belt, I realized that basketball was really just a platform to teach young people life lessons, uh, to teach them the tenets of, of accountability and respect and how to prepare and develop good habits. And then that morphed into teaching leadership and teamwork and, and creating a culture. And about a year ago, almost to the day, I decided that I wanted to take that message uh, outside of the four walls of a gym and start to share that message in the corporate space and with other groups that I felt that it would resonate with. So even though I've spent most of my life in the, the basketball world, uh, I know firsthand that the principles of achievement in basketball are identical to the principles of achievement in business and in our personal lives. So uh, that's really the last iteration of my career is where I am now sharing everything that the game's taught me to, to everybody else. And how did you make that transition? Because I think that might be helpful for the audience because there are a lot of like health and wellness uh, practitioners that listen. And I think a lot of people would love to be able to make that jump. So how did you do that? I had strategy and, and I, I really put a lot of thought in place on how I could make that transition. And, and transition is the perfect world be, word because uh, I haven't left the basketball community completely. Um, I still have a foot in that arena, uh, and, and I want to continue to do that. You know, serving players and serving coaches is something that's very important to me, and the game has been really good to me, and I want to continue to be good to the game. Um, but I did have some systems in place, and I, I have a, a series of online training programs and, and products and things that financially would keep me afloat as I tiptoed into this new space of corporate speaking, uh, leadership training, and running workshops. Uh, I'm very much a process guy, and I know that anything uh, anything good takes time to build. So I knew that it was going to take some time to get a speaking career off the ground, to, to become known in an industry where I had no brand recognition and no credibility, that being the corporate space. And I, I knew it was going to take some time. So uh, I, I've been building this brick by brick. And as I've said, it's been about a year since I've been in the corporate space. And it, it's, it's going well. I mean, I'm, I'm learning something new every day. But I very much looked at it, as you mentioned, as a transition. I didn't just run and jump off the ledge of a building. I put some systems in place um, strategically to make sure that, that I would be taken care of financially. I, you know, I'm not going to risk going homeless for my, myself or my children. Um, but at the same time, there is some risk involved anytime you're going to enter uh, a, a new area or have a new target audience. And could you give an example of like one or two of the systems that you had in place to help you make this this sort of somewhat of a career change, I guess. Well, the first thing I did, I'm very much a relationship guy. Uh, to me, relationships are, are one of our most important, important currencies. And I spend a lot of time forging very solid and deep relationships. You know, I, I know with the advent of social media, uh, all of us have some superficial relationships and we get caught up in the numbers of people that are following us or liking us or watching us. But to me, what's most important is having some depth with real people. Uh, so I had two or three, I guess you could call them friends, mentors, colleagues, what you will, that are in the corporate space. So when I decided to make this jump, the very first thing I did was, was sit with them and kind of lay out my plan, lay out my content and message and ask them, do they felt this would resonate? Is there a market for this message? Is this, is this something that would resonate in a space that I've never been in? I've never had a corporate job in my entire life. So I didn't want to go in blind 
and I wanted to go to people that I trusted and respected. And they helped me hone my message and give me food for thought and tell give me stories about things that had worked well in the past for them and things that they wanted me to avoid. So that was certainly step one. And then step two was uh, speaking of that, uh, those relationships, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit here because I still call it a Rolodex, but I went to my Rolodex of people and uh, realized that I had been serving the basketball community for almost 15 years. And, and I felt that I'd built up enough equity that I could now ask that community for some help and ask them for an assist to use basketball terminology and say, hey, if any of you have any relationships or know anyone in the corporate space that could use a leadership performance coach or a corporate speaker or someone to run workshops, you know, I'd truly appreciate the referrals. And uh, I'm, I'm very thankful and extremely grateful that uh, a lot of folks came out of the woodwork to help me and got me some initial gigs. And that's what really got the ball rolling. And then if we're going to talk just about the speaking side, speaking is very much a referral based business. You know, I mean, that's how you and I met. That's why mm-hmm. I'm on this show is because I was speaking at a conference that you were attending and you were kind enough to, to come up afterwards and introduce yourself and, and we hit it off. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and proud to say I pulled in five or six gigs just from the Ascend conference alone. So that's, that's kind of how the speaking business works, but it all goes back to coming from a place of service. And, and I've spent a lot of time serving the basketball community with my full heart and soul and passion. And I'm, I'm really appreciative that, that they've come back and helped me out. And I think that's great lessons for anyone, I think, getting into any entrepreneurial venture is do your research first, which you did by going to friends in the corporate space, and then leveraging the community that you've already served and where they already know you in order to get your foot into the next door. So I think that's great advice. Um, Thank you. Yeah, great advice. Now, one of the things that you spoke about at, at Ascend were kind of three steps to creating change. And I think this can be in a corporate space, an entrepreneurial space, or how we as healthcare practitioners approach our patients, right? Because every all of us, patients come to us, they're in pain, they need to make a change. We need to be the person to be that change agent change agent. So can you explain those three steps? Absolutely. And you know, change, it's unavoidable. Change is constant. Change is all around us. I mean, uh, that's one thing that unites you and I as human beings is we're going to experience change and we're going to experience it every single day. And it's, 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 it's interesting because that word alone usually causes anxiety. Most people don't like to change because almost any time there's a change, even when it's a positive change, there's some discomfort that accompanies that because you're getting out of your normal routine, your normal way of doing things. But change is inevitable. And as you just mentioned, as a healthcare practitioner, people are coming to you. They need to change. Obviously, something needs to change because whatever they've been doing has put them in pain or has put them you know, in a predicament that they need help getting out of. So from a change standpoint, um, the first and foremost thing that people need is they need to have an awareness. They need to have an awareness that something needs to be changed. Now, with your example, they start feeling some pain. So that's the awareness that they need. Hey, I don't like having pain in my back something needs to change. Uh, but lots of times with, with our normal routines and things going on in our lives, the pain is not that acute and it's not that obvious. Um, so having high self-awareness uh, is a major tool for all of our toolboxes. And that's whether we're talking about being business owners and entrepreneurs, or we're talking about being parents or spouses, uh, having high self-awareness is crucial, but that's always the first step is, you know, w- what needs to change. Then the next step, is you have to have an understanding 
of the impact that this, and I'm making air quotes even though this mm-hmm. is an audio podcast, the, that this thing is having. What is the impact that this is having? My back hurts. How is that impacting me? Well, I'm having trouble sleeping. I can't do my normal workout routine. Uh, well, when I don't sleep and I don't work out, now I'm irritable. So that means I'm grouchy around my kids and I'm grouchy around my spouse. So that's affecting my relationship. So uh, something as simple as a little bit of back pain is now having a colossal negative impact on my entire life and, and that impact and, and understanding that it's doing that. Why, why is my wife irritated with me? Oh, it's because I'm grouchy. Why am I grouchy? It's because I haven't been able to work out or sleep. Well, why can't I work out or sleep? Because my back hurts. Now I've got a deep understanding, and that can take us to the third step or the third level, however you want to look at it, which is reconditioning, which is actually the change that we need. So my back hurts, so I come in to see you, and now you're going to give me some steps and some exercises and some tools to help my back you know, to help my back feel better. Now I actually have to do that. Now I've got to actually do the heavy lifting and do the work involved in, in, in helping that. And, and what's funny is we go through those three steps regardless of who we are and regardless of what we're trying to change. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if one of your listeners is trying to get their teenage son to make his bed every morning. Uh, it's going to be the same thing. I mean, they're bringing up the awareness that he needs to make his bed, but really until he feels the impact that not making his bed is having, he's not going to feel compelled to change. And then over time, he'll just have to make his bed consistently enough that it becomes a habit. But it really doesn't matter in what way, shape or form we're talking about. We all go through those three steps. And, you know, in talking about it, it sounds quite simple. You raise awareness, you understand how it impacts you and you recondition to a new habit, but it's not. So what are the biggest challenges that you've seen people face throughout these three steps? Yeah, that is, you hit the nail right on the head. When I can compartmentalize it like that and just read it off in a list fashion, boy, that sounds super easy. There's nothing easy about change. And like I said, even when we know in mind, heart, and soul that it's a positive change, still doesn't make it easy. Uh, There are several barriers to change. Uh, The three that I usually highlight the most Um, first is as human beings, we're not really wired to take on a lot of change at once. Um, you know, if, if you try to fix five or six things in your life at once, you'll probably have very, very poor results. We're much better wired to have hyper-focus on one habit, occasionally two habits. It depends what they are, but you really need to have hyper-focus on one thing that you need to do and one thing that you need to fix as far as change is concerned. Uh, the next barrier to something we kind of alluded to before, which is most people tend to feel the negative side of change. As soon as you even hear the word, your heart starts to beat a little faster, your blood pressure goes up, your palms start to sweat, and your mind immediately goes to negative, which is, all right, well, Karen's asking me to change. What does she want me to lose? What does she want me to give up? What do I have to quit? What do I have to sacrifice? Instead of thinking of the positive sides. But it's important that, as you said, as a change agent, that we know that, that you know when you're working with a patient and you're going to ask them to change something, it's important for you to know that they're immediately going to put up a wall and think of the negative side. And then the other barrier to change that's very common is the the moment the spotlight is off or the pressure is off, we all revert back to our old habits. And that's, again, important to know, especially as a health practitioner, where if someone's coming in to see you a couple times a week, Of course, they're going to do right when they're under your thumb and they're under your tutelage. But what are they going to do with the other, you know, 160 hours during the week that you're not with them? Well, statistics have shown that if the spotlight's not on them, they're going to revert back to some bad habits unless they have that high self-awareness and that really deep understanding of how it's impacting them. 
that's when they'll be better up to, to do what they're supposed to do even when you're not watching. But those three barriers to change, as you said, it's important that we look in the mirror and own those for ourselves, but it's also important that we have some empathy and some grace with anyone that we're working with that we're trying to change, whether it's a teenage son or it's a patient at your practice. Just know that they have those same barriers that we do, and knowing that, we can help try and work around them and help alleviate them. And what can we do, let's say, as the change agent to help to continue to support those people, whether they're our patients or, you know, friends, family, a fellow uh, a person sitting next to you at your desk? What can we do to continue to support those people to make those changes? So let's say the spotlight is off of them. You know, they've they finished their bout of physical therapy or their goal was to run a marathon. They did it and now they're, you know, back to their old ways, so to speak. So do you have any um, advice or examples on what we can do to continue to provide that support so that they don't go back into old habits? Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's a brilliant way to frame it and a way to look at it. Uh, even though I'm a basketball guy, I love coaches in general, and Dabo Sweeney is the head football coach at Clemson, who's arguably one of the top football coaches in, in college football. And when he talks about his coaching style and philosophy, he always talks about a continuum of love and discipline and where those things intersect. And I think to answer your question, first of all, it depends on yourself and your style as the change agent, but it also depends on the individual nature of the person you're trying to work with on how much love or how much discipline you give them. You know, some people need a little more love and a little more grace and, and be a little more lenient with them um, when they kind of proverbially fall off the wagon, where other people need to be held to a much higher level of accountability where you're instilling more discipline. So I think it's a, a combination of both. You know, um, as you know, having sat in on my talk, I'm a big fan of living in the present moment. So if, if I'm I'm trying to create change with you and I realize that you kind of had a quote unquote bad day yesterday, uh, I'm not going to live in the past for that long. I'm going to make sure that you know that I care enough about you that I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm not going to spend time worrying about what you didn't do yesterday. I'm going to focus on the present and trying to get you to do right today and then do right tomorrow. And again, balance that love and discipline so that you feel that I'm not micromanaging you or I'm not you know, trying to hold you down, but at the same time, I'm still, ex I have expectations and I'm holding you to a standard. And, and I think uh, when he framed that, that love discipline continuum, that was really powerful and something I really, uh, really have realized I use in my own life to great degrees. And it sounds like to me, when we talk about those three steps in creating change, which are awareness, understanding of the impact and reconditioning to a new habit, that that is not linear, that these are going to circle around and maybe jump from reconditioning of the habit back to awareness, back to impact, back to awareness, and that it's not a linear step. Is that right? Because it sounds oh, like what you're saying. so accurate. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's a daily recalibration. And that, again, goes back to that present moment. You know, I'm, I'm a very amicably divorced father of three, and, you know, I, I love being an attentive and present father. And, and I have my kids fairly often. I have them, you know, two weekends a month and two weekdays during the week. Uh, but I tell you what, every night when I drop them back off, uh, I do a quick calibration of how was my parenting today? How did I do today? And, you know, some days I, I do pretty well. I feel good about the relationship and the connection I made with my kids. And then other days, 
like, man, I was really short with him. I didn't have very much patience. I was a little bit distracted with the project I have going on with work. I did not do as good a job today as I'm capable of. So it is a constant recalibration. It is definitely not this linear ramp that's always going up to improvement. You know, you'll have a couple of days where you do well, you'll have a couple of days where you don't. But for me, since I'm so hypersensitive to that awareness state, I can go back immediately and, and look at myself honestly and with some vulnerability and say, you know what, tonight was not my best job of parenting. And what's the impact? The impact is I, I didn't create a further or deeper connection with my children. And that's something that's really important to me. So I'm going to change that behavior, be very conscious of it next time I see them. But as human beings, we make mistakes. We have faults. None of us are perfect. So to me, having that grace, I don't beat myself up over it anymore. I learn from it. I move on and I try to do better next time. But yes, that if I was going to draw a line for you, it would be a whole bunch of ups and downs and zigs and zags. It would definitely not be this beautiful, steady 45 degree slope ramp. Yeah. And I think that that's normal. And I'm glad that you said you don't beat yourself up for it because you kind of beat me to it. I was going to ask that. Um, but just to say, so whether it's yourself or your patients, because oftentimes we see our patients, um, they do really well and they say, oh, I was doing so well, but now, you know, I feel like I've slid back and now my back hurts again. So what's the point? You know, yeah, and I think I this is where we need to come in to give a little more encouragement and to also say like, hey, this is normal. You know, just because you might have slip back on, on a habit we're trying to develop, that's okay. It's normal. But then when does it become abnormal? Oh yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point. But you hit it on the head with the giving yourself some grace. You know, many times, uh, people, we're our own biggest critics. I mean, even from a speaking standpoint, I do the same type of evaluation and recalibration. I mean, the moment I stepped off the stage at Ascend and when I was done meeting wonderful people like yourself, I mean, I took pen and paper out and started writing down, okay, what parts do I felt went well? What didn't go well? Oh, I should have told that one story at this one time and I forgot. Or I, I said this and, and, I, and I evaluate myself. And again, when I was first starting out, I was so critical of myself, it would literally wreck the rest of my day if I didn't feel like I gave a 10 out of 10. Um, and now I just take a deep breath and say, hey, this is part of the process. It was a learning experience. And of course, anytime I step on stage or am fortunate enough to be speaking to people who care what I have to say, I am always aiming to bring my A game. I want to give them everything that I've got. But like anybody else, it's not like my performance. They're not perfect every time. Some days are really good. Some days a little left to be desired. And same thing with parenting, same thing with any of these different areas. So, you know, if a patient comes in and they've had a little bit of a backslide, it's just important that they know that, hey, that's okay. That happens. We backslide every day of our lives in some area of our life. Let's get you back up to where you were before because you were making such great progress before. You were feeling great. I was really proud of you. Don't worry about this backslide. We can get you right back. And, and I think that type of attitude, which again, combines love and discipline, will get somebody back on track. I think that's a beautiful way to word to your patients because you're not being accusatory and you're not blaming them for, oh, this is, it's your fault because this happened. Even if it was their fault, you don't want to be accusatory. You want to kind of try and keep it on the positive and say, listen, you were doing really great. And like you said, we'll get you back. So yes. you're being supportive. And that, and that shows humility. It shows vulnerability. It shows grace. I mean, to me, uh, being authentic and being genuine is really important to me. And when I'm on stage speaking in front of people, you know, I'm on some level being perceived 
as an expert, which is why I'm the one on stage with a microphone. But it's so important to me that the folks listening understand that I am exactly like them. I have a decent understanding of these things, but I struggle with the same stuff that I'm talking to people about. Here I am giving a talk about being present and I struggle with being present. You know, I'm, I'm talking about giving yourself some grace when you mess up, and sometimes I'm really hard on myself. So these are all things that we all struggle with. But to me, that's the key to connection, is having humility and vulnerability and letting other people know, hey, you're no different. Hey, you're coming into my practice because I'm an expert at helping you get rid of this pain. But trust me, I know what it's like to have a backslide. I know what it's like to not stick with a habit and see it to fruition. So I, I think it's really important as human beings to create that connection um, that we, we make sure we show that. And humility and vulnerability, I think, are, are two of my best parenting tools. I tell my kids all the time that I don't have all the answers. I'm doing the best I can and that no one gave me a handbook on how to be a father. I'm trying to figure this out, but I'm going to always figure it out with their best interest at heart and with a lot of love in my heart. And when they're older and they have kids, they'll really appreciate this time they're going through now. And that kind of brings me on to the next thing that I want to talk about, and that's leadership. And I have a feeling I kind of know what your answer is going to be based on what you just said. But in your opinion, what, what qualities should we look for in a great leader? First and foremost is self-awareness without question. The leader has to know what they're good at, what they're not good at, what their strengths are, what their challenges are, what they like, what they don't like, what their personality style is, and what personalities do they mix best with. So I think that's number one. And I think number two is a, a combination of that humility and vulnerability that, yes, you know, uh, I'm – I'm good at these things. I'm going to lead this group. I have tremendous vision, um, but I'm also not perfect, and I'm open to everybody else. I think that's the foundation. And then on top of that, I mean, they certainly have to be they have to be competent at whatever it is they're going to do. They have to have a high level. Hopefully. Yes, one would hope, uh, or I don't know why anyone would follow them if they don't. Uh, they need to be, uh, you know, in addition to being competent, I mean, they – they have to have a vision. They have to have selflessness. You know, as a leader, it's not about you. It's it's about the folks that you're leading. You know, and and back to the humility, you also have to have the self confidence to not have to be in charge in air quotes that you're trying to grow other leaders. To me, that's what a great leader does is they don't amass followers. They actually empower other leaders. And the best basketball coaches that I've been around have turned a lot of their players into excellent leaders and they don't feel threatened by that. So if you're secure and you're confident when other people on your quote unquote team step up and lead, you don't feel threatened. You feel great about that. So, uh, and what I've always noticed from a leadership standpoint, if, if you were to come up with your list of top five and I come up with my list of my top five or any of your listeners would, for the most part, everything we would list would be a skill set or a trait that can actually be improved with purposeful practice. And that circles back to the fact that, as Simon Sinek has said and, and Stephen Covey have said, leadership is a choice. It's not a title. It's not a position. It's not a rank. It's a choice. Just because you're not given a position of authority or a title of authority doesn't mean that you're not a leader. You know, the 15th man on the basketball team can absolutely be a leader if they choose to lead. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to is putting yourself in a place of service to positively impact the lives around you. That's what a leader is in, in my world. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. I always say, you know, regardless of whether 
you are a new graduate physical therapist, you're a staff physical therapist, you're, you head a department or you own 25 practices, 500 practices. No matter what, you're, you're still a leader to someone. So if you're the new graduate physical therapist and you have a roster of 10 patients, guess what? You're leading those 10 patients. And so to have all of these skills, like you said, self-awareness, humility, vulnerability, competency, and a vision are still important and they still apply. Yeah, without question. And conversely, just because you're the quote unquote boss or the director or the manager doesn't by default make you an effective leader. All that is is a title. That's on your door. That's on your name tag. That doesn't mean you're an effective leader. That just means someone's put you in a position of authority. And uh, those two should not be confused. So just because you have that title, uh, you should absolutely continue to invest in yourself and work on your leadership skill sets so that you can become the most effective leader in that position as possible. Yeah, and I think it's important, like you mentioned before, all of these leadership traits can be cultivated and can be learned and practiced and improved. Yes, and it's one of the best investments that we can make in ourselves and in our future because leaders are always in demand and leaders are always the highest paid in any genre, in any organization. That is always the case. So uh, anyone that invests in their leadership skills, it's a great investment that you're making. And as we try to, to not you know, blur the lines between work and home life. If you work on the, those skill sets, even for a work purpose, they will bleed over into your personal life. I mean, are you telling me that if you work on your, your competency and your vulnerability and your humility and your self-awareness and your communication skills and your vision, you're telling me that's not going to have a positive impact on your parenting or your relationships with your spouse or significant other? I mean, this stuff, again, that's why it's such a sound investment. Not only will it help you in your vocation, it will help you in every single area of your life. You know, you've been around tons of high profile coaches, players, teams um, in the basketball world. So what are one or two lessons that you feel like were the biggest lessons you've learned coming directly from whether it be a player or a coach? You don't have to name names, but if you want to, you can. Yeah, the, the number one lesson is never get bored with the basics. Uh, the basics are uh, have always worked and will always work. You can talk basketball, you can talk business, you can talk life. The basics work. Uh, unfortunately, uh, with technology and, and attention spans getting shorter and shorter, people tend to skip the basics and go right for the outcome. They want what's sexy and what's hot and what's flashy, and they want to skip over the work that's needed to get there. Um, and that's that's a crucial one. And even using speaking as an example, I mean, I was very fortunate to be able to keynote the Ascend Conference, and I get to stand on stage with shiny lights and video cameras and speak to a wonderful audience and you know how much work and preparation went into the months and weeks and hours leading up to that just to be able to do that? And that's all the non-glamorous stuff. That's, that's the time where I'm literally standing in my living room by myself rehearsing over and over and imagining that there's an audience in front of me and it all builds up. Well, it's no different with a basketball player. I mean, the, the work that they put in during the unseen hours, that's what ends up showing. And most of that work are very, very basic uh, elements. And then the other thing which kind of piggybacks on that is what I've learned from the best of the best is what they do during the unseen hours, that uh, their success is not an accident. It's, it's you know, hope is not a strategy. Uh, they're successful because 
their their habits, their routines, their disciplines, you know, all the things that they do and systems that they've created with themselves of the basics, that's why those folks are successful. And it's no different. I mean, you just reference someone that may own, you know, 20 different practices and have 500 employees. They didn't get there by luck. They didn't get there by accident. They've gotten there because they've done some things well, they've done some things right, and they put some systems in place that have allowed them to grow to that level. So success is never ever an accident. So you mean Kobe Bryant doesn't just cross his fingers every day and then just go into a game? He does not. And that's what's funny is, see, a player like that, he wants the ball at the end of the game when there's three seconds left. And the reason he wants the ball is because he knows in his heart he deserves to make the winning shot because he spent millions and millions of hours going through task-specific repetitions when no one else was watching that he deserves to make that shot. Then you have kind of the the posers who pretend that they put in the work in the unseen hours and and as soon as you know the spotlight's on them they run like roaches they don't want the ball at the last couple of seconds because they know that they don't deserve to make it and that's that's extremely crucial so yes with somebody like a Kobe Bryant uh, yeah as i mentioned before hope is not a strategy yeah that's too bad cuz that wouldn't that make life so much easier it sh- it sure would but here here's what i find funny though if it was that easy then everyone would be doing it. So one of the things that will allow you and I to separate ourselves from everyone else is our commitment to the basics, are the unseen hours. Uh, My plan to ascend to the top of the speaking industry, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek and some humility, is that I'm going to do the work that's required. And I know that most people are not going to do that work. They're going to skip steps. Uh, A good friend of mine said that the only way you can get to the top of any ladder is rung by rung. You have to touch every step. Now, you can have a bad misstep and fall all the way to the bottom in one step, but you can't get to the top in one step and you have to be willing to do the work. And so for me, I actually think it's a good thing that that other people aren't willing to do that because it'll it'll make the herd thin out as you and I continue to ascend to the top of our respective industries. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I actually never looked at it that way, but that sort of ladder approach makes a lot of sense. And it kind of gives you a little bit more fuel in your tank, if you will, to kind of keep going, right? Like when things get hard, you're like, why am I doing this? This sucks. Absolutely. And we all have those thoughts, which again, as we've discussed, give yourself some grace. Understand that, yeah, it does suck. This is hard work. It's boring. It's menial. But repetitions are the oldest form and the most effective form of learning. And you got to get those reps. Whether you're talking about improving your free throws or being a more polished speaker on stage or working in in your practice and working with patients. I mean, uh, I would tend to believe someone that has seen 20,000 patients firsthand has a better acumen at what they're doing than someone that's only seen 20. And that's because of the reps. You learn something from every time that you do it, and it's important to get those. And and really, to piggyback on what you said before, people tend to think that basic and easy are synonyms, and they're not. Committing to the basics is not easy to do. As we just said, if it was easy, everyone else would be doing it, but it's not. So just because something is basic in, in theory and in principle does not mean it's easy to do. Getting up every single morning at 4 a.m. and going to the gym and making a thousand jump shots at game speed from game spots is not easy to do, but that's pretty basic. Just wake up, go to the gym, and make a thousand shots. I mean, it doesn't get any more basic from a principle standpoint, but anyone who's ever done that knows that is not easy, and it's certainly not easy to do consistently. Right. I think, and that's the key word is the consistency, because we can all do things once or twice. 
Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, just th- that consistency, and it kind of goes back full circle to the beginning of our talk where you talked about creating a new habit. Yeah. Well, there's. I, I love doing things in threes. If you want to be successful, there's three things that you have to do, and they're non-negotiable. You have to work hard, you have to work smart, and you have to work consistently. Here's the crazy part. Two out of three won't get it done. If you work really hard and you work really smart, but you only do so every other Thursday, you're not going to get very far. If you work really hard and you work really consistently, but you don't work out with much intelligence or much purpose, then you're not going to get much better. And hopefully, I hope your listeners can appreciate that you can be as smart as you want and as consistent as you want, but if you don't put some some effort behind it, you're never going to be successful. So you actually have to have all three when many people hope that they can just get by with one or two, and Mm -hmm. and you can't. You need all three, hard, smart, and consistent. Great advice. And that leads me to my last question is, what piece of advice would you give to yourself as a new grad, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career? Well, the hardest part would have been able to get myself to even listen to the advice because I was very hard-headed very hard-headed. It's funny because in my early 20s, I don't know if you knew this about me, in my early 20s, I knew everything. I actually knew everything there was to know. We all knew everything in our 20s. And and now in my early 40s, uh, not only do I realize how much I didn't know then, but I realize how much more I know now. So um, if I would have been able to shake myself uh, awake, I would have said, hey, you need to listen to this. You need to be much more open-minded and accepting of a variety of different viewpoints and philosophies would be one. And you need to respect the process. See, when I was in my early 20s, I was much more outcome-based. I was chasing what was hot and what flashy and what was sexy and not sticking to the process, which is obviously what I preach now because I've learned that that's what works. So those would be the biggest two things that I would have told myself, and I can only hope that I would have listened to myself. Oh, we all hope we would have listened to ourselves (laughs) back then. So now where can people find you if they want to maybe see you speak or if they have questions, they want to get in touch with you? Uh, My website is allensteinjr.com, and I'm at allensteinjr on all of the major social channels. Um, I take a lot of pride in responding to inquiries and emails and social uh, shout-outs. So certainly if if any of this resonated with any of your listeners and you want to continue the conversation, I would love that. And yeah, if I could add value to anybody listening uh, through a talk or a workshop, I'd be just as honored to do that. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule and coming on to the podcast today. I think this is great. And it leaves people with a lot of food for thought and a lot of great advice that they can start doing today. And that's what I love. Absolutely. My pleasure. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And everybody, thanks so much for listening today. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.